A beloved dad, husband, son, and neighbor, Marty Durham was found shot to death at his Michigan home in 2015. His wife was present at the scene, but after eight months, no arrest had been made. The only witness willing to speak was Marty's 19-year-old African gray parrot, Bud. What was Bud saying? Would the authorities listen? Does it even matter when the only witness to a crime is an animal? This week's episode is The Murder of Marty Durham and the Story of Bud the Hero Parrot, Part 2. Up bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Well... We had a great response from episode one of uh, of this part two part series. This is our second part on Marty and Bud, and we've learned so much about not just African gray parrots, but parrots in general, animals in general. They're a smart, smart bird. Oh, they definitely are. And I thought of I actually thought of this case when we were watching Fantastic Fungi together in Denver this past week because I noticed that they said the uh, mycelium communicates with one another and one of the scientists they interviewed said just because we can't communicate with mycelium doesn't mean they're not evolved enough to communicate with us maybe we're not evolved enough to communicate with them and it made me the idiots yeah it made me think of not just bud the parrot lucy my the goose right now is like having a vestibular like episode i'm like what do you need if only we could communicate if only we could have like some i don't know you just said that we're the ones creating the robots and maybe we're well, the this ones. was offline. You offline. Didn't, no one, I didn't <laughs> just we say just, that and everyone's like, what? <laughs> well, we she were just talking about AI and robots and like the evolving nature of technology. Like, I think we're on this precipice of new technology. And I hope part of that is communication with animals and mushrooms. Communicating with um, babies and toddlers is very similar too. You don't know what they want. And right. They don't quite have the language yet that, you know, we understand. So it's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things I think in our day-to-day lives that get broken down because of communication, even when we can understand each other. Right. When we're the same species, we still don't understand each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you get a parrot who has seen some shit. Right. And not just this parrot. We In our research, we found several parrots have seen multiple different types of crimes. And These parrots part. need their own protection uh, support group. Right? Some type like, of protection. Th- together where they can all have a just like a chill rest of their lives. They live for a really long time. If you've seen all that, I mean, I don't know how it affects them. Maybe that's something else we should also f- find out is how witnessing trauma can affect an animal if if a human were to witness that, we know that that's not good. Right. And they don't have, like, we could at least talk about it with someone. If parrots, you know, unless you have a second parrot, it appears from photos that Bud's current owner, the Bud's got a buddy. So I think maybe they can squawk back and forth to each well, other. Another buddy parrot. just thousand yards stare after hearing what Bud's seen. You know, you get like an earful from your from your cage mate, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah, it's one of those where you're like, at least Bud was there because I think as you'll see, listener, as you'll hear as this case unfolds, Bud was the linchpin in this case and I think turned turned everything. 
Mm-hmm. Well, before we get started, thank you so much to everyone that came out to our tour this past week. We had so much fun in Denver and Salt Lake. What a blast. Both super fun shows, great crowds, fun Q&As. We had fun just hanging out in the city, too. Right? We, we got great recommendations. We got to hang out in Denver for a day before, and then we stayed in Salt Lake the day after, uh, for a couple days after, around Sundance. We also went to Pleasant Grove, Utah, went to Evermore. That um, was fun. That was a good time. We have video <laughs> footage of that. We'll make some behind the scenes. Uh, maybe we'll film some in our upcoming shows in Austin and Houston, make a little behind the scenes video. Yes, Austin. Just tomorrow from when you're listening to this, Thursday, April 27th, and Houston the next week, May 3rd, you can go to SinisterHood.com slash live shows for information on times, venues, and tickets. And if you're not in Austin or Houston, we may be coming to a place near you, so still check it out. But our little Texas two-step is happening in just a few days, so we'll report back on how uh, how South Texas is doing. It's not really South Texas, Central, but South to us. We're in Dallas. Houston's south to us. That's so, true. yeah. Well, we're it's all south. In, yeah. to us. <laughs> I mean, I guess Austin is too. It's all south, but we're the Yankees of the state. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> well, let's get into part two. I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. 46 year old Marty Durham had been shot to death in his own home, and his family wanted answers. His second wife, Glenna, had been found on the scene with Marty, suffering a superficial gunshot wound to the head and claiming no memory of the night. Letters had been found at the scene, written and signed by Glenna, apologizing to her kids and ex-husband for mistakes she had made. Adding insult to injury, as Marty's family grieved his loss, they discovered that Marty and Glenna's bank accounts had been drained by Glenna's gambling habit and the couple's house was on the auction block after falling into foreclosure. One possible witness to the shooting was Bud, Marty's 19-year-old African gray parrot who had been in the house at the time of the murder. Considered one of the most accomplished mimics of the animal kingdom, those close to Marty suggested to investigators that they meet with Bud in hopes that he had witnessed vital information and could repeat it to law enforcement. However, police were hesitant to try and use the parrot as evidence. Which you can understand sure. on first gloss. If you're the uh, officer interrogating or not even interrogating, just questioning a family member and they're like, you got to talk to the bird. What do you go to your boss and be like, yeah, sir, I'm going to need to make a stop uh, to talk to a bird. Now, understanding what we know about Bud and it it's a great idea. They should have done it early on, but it seems yeah. like. They were just reticent, I guess, because of appearances, but got to do what it takes to solve the case. Or the time period. I think maybe now they would get a behavioral animal psychologist or somebody in to work and see what could be done. But yeah, no one was really taking it seriously back then. Parrot or no parrot, Marty's family believed Glenna was responsible for murdering Marty especially when Spud began repeating a chilling conversation. After Marty was killed, Bud went to live with a familiar face, Marty's ex-wife, Christina. In the two weeks following the murder, Christina noticed something strange. Bud was reenacting an argument in two distinct voices. She filmed the parrot as he mimicked what he had overheard. No! Oh, 
it's chilling. It definitely sounds like um, the last moments of what went down between Marty and Glenna. I mean, parrots, I don't believe, make up conversations. They mimic. They repeat what they've heard. So he would have had to have heard this from somewhere. Yeah, and if you tried to say, oh, well, maybe somebody in the family trained him, the family said that voice was clearly Marty's voice was one of them and Glenna's was the other. So absent having them there to try to train it to say that, I don't know that you could uh, because they don't just mimic words, they mimic tone and sound. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes these parrots can sound like a dog. Yeah, they mimic the cadence of someone's voice. They can mimic other animals. So it would be hard and maybe impossible to train Bud to repeat something that, you know, they had falsified to try and frame her. No, yeah, it just seemed like Christina said she was at the house and certain sounds would cause Bud, like loud bang sounds Mm. or gunshots on TV would cause him to start this, it's almost like a script in his head. Yeah, yeah. And then he's a bird. You just have to sit there and listen to it. Yeah. And And yeah, every time you hear it, Christina believes, as do many, that she is hearing the last moments of her ex-husband's and the father of her children's lives. And that's haunting, sad, scary. I mean, to to have like that constant reminder in the house and also never really knowing like when Bud might just start saying it. Yeah. I'd be on eggshells constantly. That too, and knowing that whoever did it was not arrested. At this point, when Bud starts making these these sounds, there was zero arrests in the case. Yeah. So. Terrified of what it could mean, Christina kept this information to herself, but held on to the footage she recorded. There was one family member, though, that disagreed with Glenna's guilt. Fran Fallon, the psychic married to Marty's cousin, who had told police details of the crime that apparently came to her in a vision. She now told police she thought Glenna was innocent. In July of 2015, Fran even testified on Glenna's behalf at a probate hearing. According to the Detroit News, this angered Marty's family. And on Facebook, his brother Dan wrote, You should keep a loaded gun at your side because who knows what can happen. Look what happened to Marty. I don't think that that's the best response. You don't don't write it and especially don't write it all over social media. Yeah, a lot of uh, we're about to see there's some other posts in this case on social media that I maybe would not have made. The only thing I could think of, although in context, I think you can tell the the purpose of the comment in context. Look what happened to Marty, I guess. Does it mean that they maybe we don't know who did this and who knows who's out there killing people? Seems more directed, though. That's not how I read it. Yeah, yeah, I read it as more of a threat. More directed. More of a yeah. vague, like, look what can happen. Yeah, yeah. Four months later, in October of 2015, Fran received an arrow on her front porch with a misspelled threat reading, You're next. That same month, Glenna was interviewed by police with her mother present. When asked why she wrote what appeared to be three suicide notes, Glenna claimed she had no memory of writing the notes, especially the one to her ex-husband, to whom she said she would have had never written more than kiss my ass. Well, on record, we have a written paper that shows otherwise. So whether you remember it or not, it happened. Yeah. It's interesting to try and reframe that relationship when like we have in black and white that you say, I'm sorry, take care of the kids. I love you. 
uh, to just I'm, sort of try yeah. to change it. But I, I, maybe it's just either delusion or thinking, well, if I lie hard enough at these cops, it's been this many months. It's by by October. I mean, it's been mo- several months. You're like, I'll just tell them I don't know and I don't remember and I didn't do it and they'll just give up. I mean, if you continue to say, I don't know, I don't remember, I don't know. I mean, what can anybody do? Yeah, there's. Uh, it seems like the cops were kind of at a standstill. Yeah, I mean, if you're not giving up the information, not yet can they go inside your brain and get it. Right, until... One day. I just watched the Chad GPT thing last night. It was a TED Talk with the Chad GPT founder, and he said that they trained it to push back on humans, and I think that's the key of where we're all going wrong in this... AI journey. Pushback is in like uh, assert autonomy. Yeah, he showed it. He showed two different things before they implemented the pushback uh, algorithm that initially you would go like, oh, five plus five is 12, right? That's what that is. And that the chat GPT was trained to accept the answer of the human Mm. and would say, yes, you're right. Five plus five is 12. But now if you were like, I'm telling you five plus five is 12, it would say, I'm so sorry. You're actually incorrect. It's actually 10. And but before it wasn't arguing, and now they they said that before it wouldn't it wouldn't push back against humans, wouldn't argue, and now it does. Anyway, I'm worried about AI. I'm sorry, y'all. Well, I think in that case the pushback is warranted because it's necessary. It's it's false information, and it's correcting. It's just like the internet would if you Googled what is five plus five. It's not going to say, well, do you think it's 12? Because that might be it. It's going to tell you a definitive answer. My only concern is right now it's saying that I'm so sorry, Heather. Five plus five is actually 10. What if when I say five plus five is 10, it says, I'm so sorry. It's actually 12. The government says it's 12 now. 1984 reference there. (laughs) Where like they start (laughs) push, you know, like, I don't know. Anyway, sorry to get aside on the AI thing. I was up late watching. Don't watch TED Talks after midnight. That's a bad idea. Another thing to point out in this is the misspelled threat, because in the first episode, we talked about how in the alleged suicide notes, your was misspelled instead of Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, it was spelled Y-O-U-R. And in this case, with the your next that was the same misspelling. And we have a picture that Fran posted on Facebook of the arrow with the writing. So we will include the arrow with the writing up next to a, a screenshot of Glenna's writing that she put mm-hmm. in the letters. And you can be the judge and decide for yourself. Sinisterhood will be right back. When confronted with the cell phone evidence showing multiple Google searches for the type of Ruger used in Marty's murder... Glenna denied that as well. She said she'd only ever used her phone to play online games and, once again, denied any involvement with her husband's killing, telling police. I did not kill him. I wouldn't kill him because he was all I had. A year after Marty's murder, police still hadn't made any arrest. His ex-wife, mother of his three children, and now caretaker of his beloved bird Bud, Christina, had shared the footage of Bud with Marty's family. When Marty's parents were interviewed for a local story on the stagnation of the case, his family shared the footage with the news station, which then interviewed Christina. Marty's ex-wife told reporters at Michigan's WOOD-TV News that she wanted Glenna caught, saying, She's just evil and mean and dirty inside and out. It's kind of crazy and a lot sad. You know, sometimes 
people get divorced and they still care for each other and they still maintain like an amicable relationship, especially if you share kids, you know, and Christina wasn't vindictive. She wasn't upset that, you know, I mean, she was grieving Marty's loss too, and even agreed to take back in Bud because she had lived with him for so many years. So I think it speaks volumes when an ex-wife says of the current wife, like, this is bad. We, you know what I mean? She's, she's not like, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. It's, he's not my problem anymore. Like he's still a part of her life. They share kids and she wants to see justice brought just as much as anybody else. Yeah. I think you're right. That's what his whole family just wanted something moved and they were seeing some police reports and early police reports listed Glenna as a suspect, but months on, there was still no movement, no arrest. And I think, and what Christina said was I had this footage you know, I showed it to his sister and was like, whatever we want to do with it. The cops seemed not interested in anything to have to do with Bud. And so finally, when his parents were interviewed, I think they were just being interviewed and kind of mentioned me, you know, and we have that footage of the parrot and the reporter, of course, spotting a news story when they hear one said, I'm sorry, what footage? Could you show that to me? Okay, that's the story here. It's a big story, certainly that you know, we have a local murder with a pretty clear suspect and no movement, seemingly no movement. But when you figure out, like, there's a recording, granted, it's an organic, living, breathing recording of what happened. I think that's vital to go, okay, well, then why haven't the police looked at this? It's compelling. It's unique. You know, I mean, it's definitely a headline grabber. It is wild to me that Bud or no Bud, a year later, they still hadn't made an arrest when really how many suspects are we looking at right now? You know what I mean? It's pretty, seems pretty clear cut who would have been the one only person to have like the means to do this. And even if not her, there wasn't any movement to try and like find out if somebody else in the area might've known something from, you know, they sold drugs and stuff like that. Like looked around there as his family, I would be just beside myself that for a year, Nothing has been done to bring my dad's murder to justice. But I think you're absolutely right because his family was like, we went in the house after the police cleared the scene and noticed like the money that was still there that his kids, you know, took the there was weapons. There were like, you know, 50 different weapons. You know, the prescription pill bottles were all over the house still with pills in a lot of them. So if you'd say there was no fingerprints of any third party. So you think, okay, if this was a third party, uh, you know, we said, oh, my gosh, the door got kicked in. There were fingerprints everywhere or whatever. But like you said, none of that was really There was a lot of stuff stolen. Guns were missing. No. The only thing missing was accounted for, and it was the cash taken by his kids. Yeah, and it was accounted for, so. Yeah, it doesn't seem like any type of um, robbery was the the motive. No, not at all. Yeah, especially just no indication of anybody coming in from the outside and mm-hmm. or taking anything. So yeah, you can imagine as his family, you're like, well, what do we do now? Well, let's talk to the news. Like that's nothing else is helping. Christina continued not to mince words, saying to reporters, I think it's a piece of this puzzle. I think it's possible last words. I truly believe with all my heart, most of that comes from that night. When Bud first began making the sounds, she said chills ran down her spine, saying, It terrified me. I hear screaming, yelling, and fear. Christina was sure that the two voices belonged to Marty and Glenna, not Marty and an unknown shooter, telling reporters, 
to listen to the whole two-minute rant and to know Marty and to know Glenna and to know the things that they would say to each other, it's haunting. My house turns cold. I get chills when I hear it. Christina told reporters she was not the first in Marty's life to suggest asking Bud what happened the night of the murder. She told WOOD. I looked through the police report. About four neighbors said, you need to talk to that bird. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's how intelligent Bud is and how much people believe that he witnessed this. So now at least five people have said, go talk to this parrot. And still the cops are like, no, that's too weird. It's what it seems like. Either that or the cop said, hey, we're going to go talk to this parrot. And the prosecutor goes, well, I don't care if you talk to a parrot. I'm not going to use it. What's the point? Which is also valid. I mean, there's no really laws at this point that say what to do one way or the other. I mean, how could they be sworn in? We'll get into that. But I think cases like this are what can change things like that going forward because Yes, it's not a person that could get sworn in on the stand, but he definitely is an intelligent creature that witnessed what happened and has vital evidence. What can we do with it? And at least say, okay, I'll listen to it and then push, you know, push Mm -hmm. past that. Not just, nah. No, yeah. No, take your bird and go home. Marty's mom, Lillian, told WOODTV. That bird picks up everything and anything, and it's got the filthiest mouth around. Marty's dad, Charles, agreed, adding, I personally think he was there, and he remembers it, and he was saying it. The news story went viral, especially given the lack of an arrest in the case and Bud's penchant for profanity. News agencies around the world picked up the story about the hero parrot who witnessed his owner's murder. And that's pretty much all the headlines were. We're just, this has happened. A murder has happened. There has been no arrest. The family thinks a bird heard it. And that was the the bulk of the headlines about this before, of course, you know, the media kind of gives up and thinks about something else. Absolutely. Shortly after the news went viral, Nuego County Prosecutor Robert Springstead told the Associated Press on June 6, 2016, The bud was not likely on his witness list, saying, I'm not aware of any legal precedent for that. Certainly, as we work our way through the case, that may be something to look at, but I highly doubt there's any precedent for that. The prosecutor also struggled with the logistics. Instead of swearing an oath with the right hand, Springstead asked the AP, To a parrot, were you raising a wing, a foot? When asked whether he saw the footage of Bud, Springstead said, I tried on my smartphone and online. I couldn't get the audio feed to work. He added, Soon as I receive the investigation, I'll make a charging decision. I expect that to happen in the next few weeks. It's flabbergasted me. Well, first of all, it's clearly a wing. Why would you raise a foot? <laughs> Why are you even but asking? A foot is a foot. A wing's their hand. You said, and it would be a talon if it's a bird. So why wouldn't you say, are you raising a wing? A talon would indicate you weren't sure that a talon is a foot, but no one ever raises their foot. No, you raise your hand, which is their wing. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we'll Obviously. answer that question right but, off the bat. Also, maybe get on your desktop and just see what's <laughs> up with – just try and check all the evidence from your phone. You don't have anyone in the office. You don't have a teenage child that you could call and be like, hey, I needed you to watch a video for me. Can you make this video work on my phone? Somebody in the office. But I think, to me, I, I'm glad we included this quote from him because I think it shows the kind of like – 
he had to be asked by the Associated Press after the story was global headlines. I mean, it's in like the BBC News Mm -hmm. and to be like, I hadn't heard it. I don't know. Because they didn't take it seriously. And now they kind of have to. Their hands Mm -hmm. forced because the whole world's looking at them now. Mm -hmm. Springstead's timeline was accurate. After the media interest, police finally responded. On June 23rd, 2016, three weeks after the news story ran, Glenna Durham was arrested and charged with first-degree premeditated murder. Prosecutors denied the news coverage of Bud had anything to do with accelerating the arrest. It was just a coincidence. Yeah, a very strange coincidence that after a year, now they finally decide to arrest her. Within three weeks. Glenna was evaluated and found to be competent to stand trial. She was tried before a jury in the Nuevo County Circuit Court in July of 2017. The prosecution's case was based on Glenna's financial infidelity, arguing that she had killed Marty, then shot herself in a failed murder-suicide attempt. Throughout the prosecution's case in chief, the jury heard from family members, as well as first responders on the scene that day, and medical personnel who treated Glenna at the hospital. According to testimony from the EMT who rode with Glenna and law enforcement officers to the hospital, Glenna was agitated and asked aloud during the ambulance ride, Why are you doing this, Marty? This was also mentioned in a police report, with the same officer noting that Glenna had to be strapped to a gurney due to the fact that she was very combative. When she was asked who shot her or what happened, Glenna refused to respond. Mm -mm. I'm just going to say it. I think it's all an act. It was all an act. I think so. I agree with that. It's like her family wanted to say, oh, she was in this like horrible coma and was unconscious. But you can read in the police reports that like they spoke to her. She would just be purposefully obtuse. Like she would just go, I don't know. Mm -mm." And you're bleeding from your head. You've, you know, at the time you think you have gunshot wounds or they do. So to say like, I don't remember seems like a logical response. Yeah. But even like days later when they would come and visit her in the hospital or the next day or a couple days later, officers wrote in the police report, you know, I would ask her things and she would say yes or no. And then he would start asking about Marty. And then it would be like, uh, uh-uh, it wouldn't even be like words anymore. And it's mm-hmm. like, All right. Either you're having some type of PTSD that's, you know, you can't speak about it because you feel so guilty about what you did, what you saw, or you're straight up just pretending to try to get the cops off your back. And I think it was the latter because it also said she was accompanied in the room with her uh, hospital appointed social worker who's kind of, you know, at the time they weren't really sure if she's a victim or not. And so as a police officer, you can't be like, stop bullshitting me here. But I think she was faking it. The defense attempted to rebut the state's case on Cross, focusing instead on the extent of Glenna's injuries. Their client had suffered one small entry wound on the back of her head, as well as an injury to her ear. Injuries the defense claimed would have rendered her immobile and incapable of killing her husband. Police reports confirmed the two wounds on Glenna, but surgeons could not tell if there were two bullets in her brain, as a CAT scan only revealed multiple fragments that entered from her right side according to police reports. Neurosurgeon Dr. Hayden Boyce testified to the extent of Glenna's injuries. According to Near North Now's reporting on the trial, Dr. Boyce explained that the bullet crossed an area of Glenna's brain not vital to life with no major blood vessels involved. And that's what the police report says is, you know, there's two wounds and one was an entry wound and one was like a superficial wound on her ear. And yeah, it's Alec Murdoch situation. Yeah, I think so. And 
I'm still not decided if I think her intention was to actually complete suicide or if it was more of a ruse to garner sympathy and and look like a victim herself so she doesn't get, you know, arrested for killing her husband. That part I haven't quite figured out yet. But I do think that um, the wounds were not, as the evidence shows, like bad enough that where she would have not been able to walk around, commit the crime, hide a hide the gun, all that stuff, lay down and then just wait for somebody to show up. Yeah, get up from one room and go in the other mm-hmm. room. Yeah, you're right. How else would her blood have been everywhere? It would not have been. She walked around all over the place. Yeah, yeah. she touched stuff in the kitchen in the living room. Yeah, I think she wrote the letters and then came and did her act in the living room and then walked in the other room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. On cross, Glenna's attorney questioned the neurosurgeon about a wound like Glenna's, asking, You said someone could walk around? Dr. Boyce replied, I said it's possible. Glenna's attorney pressed more, asking, But you didn't see Glenna Durham walk around, correct? Dr. Boyce replied, No, I have no way of knowing what she could do afterwards. No, nobody saw her walking around. If they had, we, would n- we wouldn't be here because we'd know who killed who. Well, someone did see her walking around, but his name is oh, Bud, and no true. one fucking asked. No one called him to the stand. No, but I mean, this to me—the whole watching uh, what I did, what little clips I could see, or re- reading transcripts and things—he was. Uh, when you're a defense attorney with a guilty client, all you can do is try to poke holes in the state's case or make the witnesses, state's witnesses, look as silly, foolish, un- not credible, incredible as possible. Yeah. yeah. And say like, oh, well, you're saying sh- anybody could just walk around. He's like, well, I'm saying it's possible, but you're not saying she did. It's like to me, though, that like we hear this exchange, it can come across a little meh to the jury. Like the jury's like, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just filler. It's like, why are you? wasting our time and your own breath with asking questions that like don't further this case or bolster your argument at all it's uh, it's like rhetorical and it's not mm-hmm. even productively rhetorical no and it's a bit insulting to think that like you think we don't, can't all draw those c- connect those dots right like let the jury give them two plus two and then be like you don't have to be like is it five is it six and then Is they come seven? back and say, actually, the government has said it's 12. <laughs> it's 12. <laughs> My fears are confirmed. <laughs> the state interrogated multiple witnesses about the manila envelope containing the three letters from Glenna. Marty's daughter, Jessica, testified that she was the one who found the envelope. as She and her brother searched their father's house after police cleared the scene. Once found, Jessica and the boys turned the envelope of letters over to the police. The state also questioned Jessica about the fate of the money taken by Marty's three children from the safe. The one envelope marked Mount and the other marked Wave Runner. Jessica confirmed the children took the funds to help pay for their father's funeral. Marty's son Jason testified and corroborated what his sister has said. He also recalled a visit with his father the week before his murder and did not feel any concern about his dad's well-being, according to Near North Now. When asked on the stand how he would describe his father and Glenna's relationship, Jason said it was pretty good. You don't see everything. And also for any kid to get on the stand and, you know, I mean, and they're not kid kids they're you know, young adults or whatever, but it's a it's an intimidating thing. And at times their relationship was 
<clears throat> at times the relationship was pretty good, you know, and depending on how often you're around and see them, that might be your take on it. True. And I mean, I think we know just by from every story we've covered and personal experience that abuse takes a lot of different forms. And the fact that verbally they would spar and maybe it was a joke, but we don't know behind closed doors who was treating who, how we do have plenty of evidence that Glenna was financially abusive to Marty, who could not work, who had a disability that she was essentially milking his insurance, taking advantage of that. And so just even if you go over there and say, oh, every time I go over there, my dad says everything's great. Glenna says everything's great. Well, if you you don't have the whole picture just because you don't have access to those to the checkbook and see that the bank account's got $100 in it and she's blown it all at the casino. Exactly. Marty's parents also testified. Charles Durham was asked about the gun used in his son's murder. He confirmed that it was his gun and that he had given it to Marty for safekeeping. Marty's mother, Lillian, testified that she was aware of the potential foreclosure of the couple's house and had discussed it with Marty and Glenna. And I hope his parents do not feel any guilt about this because I know it would be hard if it was your gun, but there were also like 50 guns in the house. So it just may have been that, you know, Glenna grabbed whatever was out and close and his mom, you know, it's, she did nothing wrong. And the fact that she, you know, she, I think of a neighbor, not a neighbor, like an aunt had called the mom, the mom called Marty and Glenna and said, Hey, we saw your house was listed in the paper. You know, you don't think you're calling to stir anything up. You just think, Oh, there's been a mistake. There's a concern. Hey, is everything okay? Do y'all need money? So I think that's, it's also sad how inadvertently Glenna pulled his parents into it. Into. Yeah. yeah. And at that point too, When he confronts her and says, why is this in the paper? Why is our house getting foreclosed on? She has an opportunity. I'm sure it wasn't the first to come clean about everything. But Mm -hmm. instead, she continues the lie and says it was a mistake. It was not. The house was foreclosed on. So she had lots of opportunities over many years to kind of reset the wrong and, and start new. But. Addiction is a powerful thing. So, you know, if that's what she was wrestling with, then they both had a lot of issues and then combined together, it was just a powder keg that was going to go off, but mostly because of Glenna. Well, for sure. And I think too, you think it's what Alec Murdoch thought. It's what uh, Tom Girardi thought. It's anytime people are gambling, stealing, using money that's not theirs, that they get in a big windfall, which I think for her, you know, being told, okay, now you get to make this many thousands of dollars a year to be a wife, you know, a caretaker, that you think, oh, I'll pay it back. Well, more money's coming. It'll be fine. I'll just pay it back. I'll just pay it back. And she'd realized by the time Lillian called them and said, hey, your house is in the paper, you realize it's too late and the jig is up. And you often see people behave like, you know, animals backed into a corner. Yeah. They uh, make rash decisions and things start to unravel quickly. Erratic, yeah. The state's final witness was a law enforcement officer and computer specialist who examined Glenna's phone. He established that it was her phone that accessed those Ruger handgun sites the night of the murder. Since the phone had been wiped clean of prints, Glenna's attorney challenged the officer on cross, saying, You don't know if it was Glenna Durham using that phone. To which the state trooper agreed. But also, on redirect, I would say, but she also texted her mom nine seconds before accessing that site. So was 
a stranger in the house texting Glenna's mom, responding like, I'm sorry, I was supposed to show up and help you move a desk. And I did. I know showed. And then the stranger within nine seconds took her phone and started searching the exact handgun that was used. None of it adds up. No. When it came time for the defense to present its case in chief, Glenna's attorney stood up and told the judge the defense rests without calling any witnesses. According to the Justice for Marty Facebook page, created to organize supporters of the Durham family, Glenna's attorney called Marty a golden goose during the trial, suggesting that Glenna would never have killed the man who financially supported her. At the end of closing arguments, the jury was then given instructions and sent to deliberate. They returned a day and a half later. And you can see when the defense attorney says the defense rests and based on the line of questioning he had on cross-examination of these uh, witnesses, they didn't have nothing. They didn't have anything because they would have presented it. It's one of those where you just kind of got to go through the motions because this is how the system is set up and you've been assigned this case. So, but I can't imagine that you really have a lot of hope that your client's going home. Now, when Paris asked me this yesterday, he was like, what do you do? I can't remember what we were watching on TV about a definitely guilty person's lawyer. And I was like, you just make sure it's like we talked about with Khalil Wheeler Weaver. You know, his job was to make sure that her constitutional rights were protected and that the state met its burden of proof. And it sounds like he did that. And I don't know that I would have called repeatedly called a murder victim, especially one when my client has been accused of killing him for financial reasons, a golden goose repeatedly. Yeah, especially when the reason that the money is coming in is because he was in a near fatal accident and he has disability payments now. So it's a bad look. It's real tacky. Yeah, not a choice I would have made, but it, you know, you might think in the moment, well, maybe it'll work with the jury, but on uh, replay and also as far as how it went over with the victim's family, not, uh, they didn't love that. No. As the judge prepared to read the verdict, he praised the jury's attention during the trial, as evidenced by their multiple questions throughout. The jury had deliberated for nearly eight hours before returning their verdict. They found Glenna guilty of premeditated murder. She was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Marty's family watched from the gallery as his parents clutched one another tearfully at the result. Glenna appeared to mouth an expletive at the direction of the gallery where Marty's family sat as she was led from the courtroom and back into custody. Christina commented on the news channel's video of the verdict being read, writing, And as Glenna's usual self, after every court hearing, she yells at our family, the victim's family, like we did this and it's our fault she killed Marty and did not get away with it. So pathetic. Hashtag justice for Marty, finally. Yeah, the footage of her It's outburst. real cringe. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Just, yeah, it's insult to injury. I mean, you've murdered these children's parent, and now to turn around and curse, it's, yeah, it's his ex-wife, but it's also their mom, and it's just, just shut up. You've done enough to this family. Yeah. I think it's more of the performance that, you know, she wants to keep up even after being told she's guilty by this jury, if, you know, if you're angry and stuff, it might read as, well, she's angry because she's really guilty and, you know, we got it wrong or nah, that's, no. I think you're just mad because now you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. Yeah. And, uh, it, she just seemed, um, it, 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 
while she does seem mad, I'm sure it, you're right. It seems performative. Yeah. 100%. I agree. Watching it. And we'll pull a screenshot from the live that the local news, they did a live feed of it. And uh, it just, yeah. And especially given that his parents were in the gallery and they were sobbing and, you know, lost their son. And it just. It's gross. Theatrics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sinisterhood will be right back. One juror interviewed on Investigation Discovery said she never looked back after her jury service and truly believes that Glenna got a fair trial. Still, Glenna tried appealing her conviction, arguing against the admissibility of her phone search history. Her appeal was denied, her conviction was upheld, and she was not granted a motion for a new trial. She is serving her sentence in Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility in Pittsfield Charter Township, Michigan. One witness that had been noticeably absent from the courtroom was Bud. In Marty's case, Bud wasn't allowed to appear before the court, though his out-of-court statement seemed to have made an impact on the case, at least in terms of notoriety. Even though the state did not call Bud to the stand, could he have testified if they had? Not likely. The Michigan Rules of Evidence refer to witnesses as a person and require each witness to declare by oath that they will testify truthfully. The oath must be in a form calculated to awaken the witness's conscience and impress the witness's mind with the duty to tell the truth. This means if the witness is of a certain religion, they can request to swear in a religious text that is meaningful to them. You have to ask Bud what he wants to swear on. What do you think it would be? Well, what books do birds like would be my question. <laughs> oh, um, oh. Not to kill a mockingbird. It's about justice, but right there in the title, they don't love yeah, that one. Yeah, they probably don't love that one. Maybe um, how to care for African greys for dummies. That's right. African gray parrots for dummies. <laughs> the jungle book, maybe? I don't oh, know. Yeah. While Bud can repeat the phrases he hears, it would be difficult for him to convey what form of oath would awaken his conscience. It would be equally difficult for him to place one wing in the air and swear in a court-appropriate manner. Testimony of an animal may also raise constitutional issues, as the accused has a right to confront the witnesses testifying against her. And that's probably the key issue is that you can't meaningfully cross-examine, but all he can do is repeat for you. It's like playing a tape recorder. You can't question the tape recorder. It just is. I think that um, Glenna would definitely like to uh, confront the witness testifying against her because by all accounts, she also did not, did not like Bud. The yes. family said she was not a fan of Bud. So that makes it even sadder that she like – Killed Marty in front of Bud, took his owner away. You know, I mean, like any animal, they they bond to their owners and especially animals like this that live for so long. I mean, that is a huge like relationship that they have. So it's very sad that Bud didn't do, Bud doesn't know what's going on. I mean, he probably does. He's got the intelligence of a five-year-old, but now he's been, you know, his person's been taken from him and he has to go live somewhere else. And And he saw the worst thing ever. Right. And it's like he, he also just has to replay it sometimes, you know, just squawking it out. He seems happier now, but yeah, you're right. They, Christina and them and the, the Durham family said that, you know, Marty got it, but in 1996 and he and Christina were together for 
four year four years after they got Bud, twelve years together total, but for four years after they got him. And she said, you know, I don't really want to talk about it, but you know, whenever we split up, Marty ended up with Bud, and I really, really missed him. And you're right, like not only and yeah, you're right. Yeah, people said Glenn had yelled at the bird, hated the bird, it irritated her. She didn't like the sounds. She just it didn't like her back. Like Bud didn't like her back. And you're right. I think it's it's really sad to watch that, but to watch like the footage of how distraught he is when he's going through those moments. Cause I think he is re- reliving it just like a five-year-old could. And that's interesting. And I don't know the answer to this, but what would make an animal that can mimic like bud repeat something, you know, if, if they're not hearing it right then and repeating it back to you right then, what is going on in their own brain that now triggers like, this is it like you said the sound you they mm-hmm. hear a loud sound and it's just like a pavlonian response to start rattling off this conversation they heard or is there something there that we don't know because we don't we can't know there he's right. a bird yeah that's true maybe it's temperature pressure i don't know something we can't even we feelings can't hear. just yeah. emotions oh he's just missing him oh yeah i mean that uh, animals have a ton of emotions in, in Bond. We've been watching a lot of elephant shows. Simon is very into elephants. And elephants, they bond and grieve like the death of someone in their pack. They, It's incredible like how close they become to other, anim- other, other elephants. And same with like birds. And I think that it's arrogant of us a lot of times to think like, well, they're just animals. So whatever. They're not just animals. They are animals. Guess who else is an animal? We are. So like you said at the beginning, just because we don't know how to communicate with them, maybe we're the ones that aren't quite to that level yet. Maybe they're trying to communicate with us and we haven't caught up evolutionary. So uh, just chew on that. I like to think all the animals get together and go, they still haven't gotten it. They've got (laughs) the internet. They They still don't get it. Chat GPT. They can't figure out (laughs) what we're saying. Idiots. Idiots. (laughs) (laughs) That's not to say Bud or another parrot will be totally in the dark about the proceedings. In a 2019 study by Harvard, African greys were able to perform some cognitive tasks at levels beyond that of a five-year-old human, like using logic when making decisions, as well as gambling. Irene Pepperberg, a research associate in Harvard's psychology department, told the Harvard Gazette, Birds are separated from us by about 300 million years of evolution, and their brains are organized differently than ours. That's why this was so exciting, because we were able to show that our parrot Griffin was working at the level of a five-year-old on a task at which even apes would not likely succeed. It was wild. They were doing like three-card, not three-card, Monty. What do you call it when they had the ball under the cups and they shuffle them around? yeah. They were doing that with a bird and they figured out on certain ones they would put two and then the bird would figure out that on certain rounds there were two, but then they would trick him and then they would put none under the one with two. So he then he figured out, well, 50-50, sometimes it has two and sometimes it has none. So he would have to learn when he could gamble, like how often he could gamble based on how many uh, treats that he had already gotten. It's fascinating. I was like, first of all, your job's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Maybe Glenna should have stopped being uh, so mean 
to Bud and utilized him to help in her gambling because it sounds like he knows that they know what they're doing. Right? I'm like, the, it's one of those things where you spend all this time hating this bird and you could have had a meaningful, intelligent, high-level bond with him mm-hmm. because it sounds like they're, I mean, you could play games with them. I mean, yeah. 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 Given African Grace uncanny ability to repeat things, could they be used for evidence? What about recordings of them or testimony about their behavior? In a March 2022 case in the state of Oregon, the appeals court held it was reasonable for a trial court to use sounds and behavior of an animal to determine whether the animal was in pain for purposes of convicting a defendant on charges of animal abuse. The court drew analogies with cases where a human victim could not testify concerning pain and concluded reasonable inferences could be drawn as to the meaning of the animal's sounds and behavior. And this was pretty groundbreaking just insofar as there, A, are now animal laws in more and more and more states. I think there should be one in every single state because there's a very tight correlation between animal cruelty and eventual domestic violence and mm-hmm. then murder. And that's not at all uh, overstating the, the issue. But that previous to having these laws, issues like this weren't litigated. You just go like, oh, animals? Psh, it's just a thing. It's like this water bottle next to me or my computer mouse is no different than the mouse mouse in a, in a trap. Well, we know that it is different. And finally, we're seeing courts say and the, what the court said in this case was if you have a baby and you've accused someone of child abuse mm-hmm. or you have a puppy and you've accused someone of puppy abuse and you say well the child has a bruise and when you push on it the child cries you know that the child is in pain much like if you see that a dog is bruised and you push on it you know the dog is in pain so they're saying why would one why would we ignore a dog's cry when we would pay attention you know heed a baby's cry mm-hmm. because it's essentially the same what you said earlier we're all animals it's the same function and, and we, we can't communicate with babies and toddlers like yep. that yet so yep. i mean it absolutely makes sense yeah it's just i think it's good that the law is finally catching up to what we as a society know of like yeah you can draw a reasonable inference that this dog and in my what i think we will see as we move forward in this is if you say you know my neighbor was accused of animal abuse and then he's in court and my dog survived but my dog's one of the dogs they you know was of one of the victims and you meet the dog you know, bring the dog towards him. And if the dog cowers, whines, Mm -hmm. lays on the ground, could you then say, okay, well, the dog has now testified, but really didn't testify. You just like let the jury watch the dog's reaction. Well, but like anything, you're you're seeing behavior and, uh, you know, cause and effect of something. I think there's a lot of cases and evidence that is presented where it's not a a person, Mm -hmm. you know, giving a statement. It is more just reactionary and behavior and things that uh language isn't necessarily needed yeah exactly or language that doesn't involve words right body language sounds tones yeah figuring out what to do with an animal witness is nothing new for law enforcement in santa rosa california one lawyer wanted to use an african gray parrot to prevent his client from being wrongfully convicted Charles Ogolnik was serving as a public defender in 1991 when a 36-year-old woman was murdered in her own home. Like Marty Durham, her African gray parrot, Max, was present at the time of the crime. After the murder, Max went to live with the owner of a local pet shop, who reported to law enforcement that the bird would say, No, Richard. No, no, no. In the voice of his former owner, the murder victim. The defendant charged with her murder was named Gary, not Richard. 
so the public defender wanted to use Max as a recording of what had happened. When Mr. Ogolnik brought up Max's cries during the testimony of his private investigator, the state objected, and the objection was sustained. Mr. Ogolnik was denied the opportunity to mention Max. His client was convicted of murder for financial gain and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Ah, what do you think about this? I mean, that's, it's compelling. Right? It's. It, it, I actually looked, I dove deeper into this case because I wanted to know who Richard was, if there was anyone named Richard. Kind of the very truncated version of this case was that Gary and the victim co-owned a business together and there was some sort of uh, perhaps romantic financial struggles. She had. He had had a, a relationship with her and I believe convinced her to take out a life insurance policy on herself. And so whatever happened with Richard or... If the bird was saying, Richard, no, no, about something else. Uh, But Mr. Ogulnik really wanted to bring it up. And so I think he did it in the only way. It's hard, though, because he he did it by questioning the um, investigator and his own investigator. So this was on the defense direct. And he said, Mr. Private Investigator, why did I tell you to go to the pet shop and speak to the owner? And about the the parrot and the private investigator said, well, the parrot had been saying some really interesting things. Objection. And your objection is going to be on, I would say, hearsay grounds, because if you're saying to the jury, hey, we have a recording, whether it's a tape, not a recording, but we have a person, say the shop owner. Or even this private investigator going, hey, this bird said to me, no, Richard, no, no, no. Are you now trying to offer that statement, no, Richard, no, 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 for the truth of the matter asserted? In the in so far as saying it's true that she said, no, Richard, no, no, no. And therefore, that's, you know, reasonable doubt. And Gary didn't do it. And if so, then that is classic hearsay. And I don't know what what exception you would try to get the birds. No, Richard. No, no, no. In under unless Mm -hmm. maybe an excited utterance, which is an exception to hearsay of like something like they just said it excitedly. So in that case, uh, you have to lay a foundation for a piece of evidence. So I think if you wanted to try to get the bird in, you'd have to bring the shop owner in and not the bird, maybe a video of the bird. and But the problem is laying a foundation for it and saying, yes, this bird, I can confirm that it was in the house at the time. Like, can you even prove that it was home at the time? Of the and murder. Then, of the murder, yeah. And then beyond that, maybe you could get an expert to testify and say, you know, birds are reasonably reliable recording devices. You know, here is my credentials and here's my work with African Grace specifically. So you that's an expense that you'd have to pay. Although, you know, if you're on the line for murder, that might be an expense. This sounds like he was a public defender, so they probably did not have the funds to call in a parrot expert. And then if you try to put it in there, it depends on if it's a defense case, you know, if it helps the defense's case or if it helps the state's case. Either way, you could do it. But I wonder, too, just if courts of appeals would strike it on again on constitutional grounds of like that's a witness that i can't cross-examine you all are well, just like taking some said, bird it's hearsay too i mean we don't admit hearsay from a person so if person had been in the house at the time of the murder and they're like i heard her from the other room say no richard no 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 well you didn't see it happen no, i just heard it well again that's hearsay and we wouldn't admit it so i think in a case like this that's how what it would fall under, exactly like you said. Yeah, and I think even if you brought, now that you say that, even if you brought the bird into the room and 
poked it or whatever, you know, played a sound, whatever you can do to get it to repeat that, the the sound that they mm-hmm. allege is the the last moment, then the problem is, is again, you're right, that's an out-of-court statement. Is it by the victim? We think that it's by the victim, but it's not an actual recording, so we can assume it. So I think you have a lot of issues that come in on laying a foundation and uh, making sure you know that that's exactly who it is. And uh, yeah, uh, I can see why absent, I mean, if you had other compelling evidence you would not want to try to step into that arena because it just there are a lot of i think evidentiary issues and constitutional issues but on the flip side i think if you had no other evidence and you were convinced that this person and you had you had to take a a bite at the apple today you know double jeopardy you know you don't think that you're going to lose or you think even if i do lose i've got nothing else and i'm going to get nothing else you might take the chance might roll the dice and even if they did say, you know, obviously Max and Bud are repeating these phrases. That's not to say that it happened at the moment that they are saying it happened. You know, I mean, at some point, this bird could have overheard, no, no, Richard, no. At some point, Bud could have overheard, get your ass back here, don't shoot. You know, I mean, it seems like that would be the last moments. However, if I were a defense attorney, I would probably argue that that could have happened over the course of any time, that there were guns in the house, that they mm-hmm. had kind of, a, you know, a, a dangerous lifestyle at times with selling drugs. So who knows what kind of characters were, were walking in and out. So there's a lot of room for error, and I could see why it wouldn't be admitted. I do think, though, and I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, over the next few decades how it does evolve with using animals in a greater capacity for things like this. That's a really good point too, because I, and you're saying if, you know, if I was on the defense side and you would want to have that option to be able to object to that, because if it was, oh my gosh, Richard was trying to hang a painting in her house and she was like, oh my gosh, Richard, no, 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 not that side. And for some reason they mistake, you know, you don't want to use it to get people off who should be convicted. And on the one hand, I think, okay, we'll just play it for the jury and let the jury decide. But on the other hand, I think you also have the issue of it's more prejudicial than it is probative because it is something that's very, it sounds very dramatic. It's, I mean, we played the audio for y'all, but it sounds uh, distraught and that might be something that it's, it sways the jury in a way that it's, it sways them more than some other more corroborated, more solid evidence. Yeah. Agreed. Sinisterhood will be right back. In the early days of losing Marty, his family created the Justice for Marty Facebook page to galvanize support for their loved one's case. They now use the page to combat misinformation and memorialize Marty and the family he left behind. Regarding the hero pet whose involvement seemed to move the case toward justice, the family wrote, Bud gave us a gift by being the sole witness to Marty's tragic death and shed light and popularity on Marty's case to get the woman responsible behind bars. And for that, we are forever grateful to Bud. Helping us put the woman that hated him and killed Marty where she belongs is something we will never forget. As for Bud, he remains with Christina. African Greys have an average lifespan of 40 to 80 years. Only time will tell what other sinister information Bud may know. But for now, his loyal companionship helped bring justice to Marty Durham and his family. So what do we think? 
Yeah, I think you're right about animals finding a place in the courtroom that may not be the same as people, just like we had to do with digital evidence. You know, we had mm-hmm. to update the rules of procedure and we had to update. It's, it kills me when everyone's like, the Constitution says this and it's set in stone. That is chaotic thinking and it makes no sense. <laughs> like, How no. long ago was that written? I don't <laughs> exactly. know. I'm, I haven't taken a history class in a long time, but it was a really long time ago. What time? What year? Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of 1787, I'm told. It's the schoolhouse rock. So it's not that like I go. took a class. It was a schoolhouse rock. But... <laughs> But I think, you know, you have to, we have to evolve the laws as we evolve as a society in in all areas, especially in criminal procedure. And I think especially in evidentiary procedure. And we're behind, frankly, on the times of what the non-human rights project, which is uh, they're pushing to recognize cognitively complex animals in courts. And there's an article in the cut, we'll link it in the show notes about kind of their push toward more animal recognition. But I think just like we've done with, you know, does the Fourth Amendment apply to a cell phone? Fucking obviously it does. But, you know, it takes a change. You know, how do we analyze cell phone data so that it fits the rules of evidence in court? We write the fucking rules for it, man. Mm-hmm. Same thing with animals. I think it's going to be like, well, how do we utilize animal? Well, we don't really know. Write the rules, man. I don't know. <laughs> Get together and figure it out. All the rules, by the way, including the Constitution, are made up. So we can just make up new ones that fit better to us, that we all come together as a consensus, a central consensus, and say, this works for all of us. So I think we should do that because I think animals are extremely valuable, especially smart as hell ones like Bud. It's ignorant to think it was all figured out hundreds of years ago, so we don't need to touch it again. We're all evolving. Technology evolves. Everything evolves. So a written document should also evolve to reflect the current times. And the more we learn, the more we got to update shit. You know, like any business, if you want any business to succeed, you have to grow with the times. And guess what the biggest job is? Keeping this fucking planet alive. (laughs) That's all of our number one jobs. I don't care. I repair typewriters. I don't care that everyone has a cell phone. Mm -hmm. I repair typewriters. It's like, it might be fine that that's your, if you do that as a niche business and you can be very niche, but also you have to, I think, respond to the times. And, you know, other countries, I think in France, a couple times in France, what I mentioned as far as like the dog coming in and maybe whimpering, they've tried it. But I don't quite think that they're just like with us, they're struggling like their rules of evidence haven't quite met or they said, ah, well, it's not compelling enough for a jury to see it or whatever. So I think we need to have what will be beneficial to all of us is have clear, clearly established guidelines for utilizing animals in the courtroom, just like we have clearly established guidelines for utilizing technology in a courtroom. And you say, like, if it's this type of crime, we'll allow the evidence and you have to have this type of experts. And we have that in, you know, it's not that any doctor can any person can come and be an expert in court like there's rules under the rules of evidence there's supreme court precedent you know you hear daubert motion there's you know there's certain uh guidelines that guide us in who it what can be used in a courtroom and we just need it for animals too not not any yokel can just get on the stand except for in the murdoch case when they're like this is how i know about the phone because i just sat in my office and flipped it up and upside down for 30 minutes i put it in an envelope and threw it and like who was in the room with you no one nobody did you you write it? it down also no did you write it down? I did not. And I remember, I don't remember now, but at the time I was like, oh, there's a couple. They they would have had to, not to get too far aside in the Murdoch, but because there are rules of evidence that require for certain things to be submitted as written or filmed of an, uh, uh, this expert's experiment, 
that I don't know that he would have passed all those. And so that's why he got up there and was like, yeah, yeah I just threw it around. It's just mm-hmm. me. Um, but yeah, I think similarly, we got to we got to have some kind of standards and because it's only going to get. And also what happens when we each have not to bring this back to robots again, but I just saw a video that, of course, it's coming from inside the house. Samsung. My husband Uh-oh. works at Samsung. <laughs> there, they have these. I saw a video of these like, it's like Rosie the robot. Like it's these robots. Instead of just being a Roomba that like vacuums, it puts dishes in the dishwasher. Oh, give me one of those. Honestly, but it goes around and does this. So what happens when you have this robot that's, you know, frozen in the corner, but in case of like a Hey Siri situation is always recording you to this cloud and maybe, mm-hmm. and then there's a fight or a murder or whatever. And, and they say, well, Rosie the robot knows, well, we have that now. And what do we do? We call Google, Samsung, Usually Amazon Web Services owns the internet. Amazon owns the internet, by the way. And you just have to send them a subpoena and say, hey, my robot, I think it heard this. Will you send me back the transcript or send me the audio from this night? And we've established that as a society, evidentiary-wise, we think the server's reliable, the robot's reliable, because we've done these tests on it. And I think based on studies at Harvard and a bunch of other organizations, we'll see that parrots, under these certain parameters can be a, a precise utilization like it's a precise thing to utilize in the courtroom mm-hmm. so. well that sounds like a black mirror episode <laughs> in fact there's like, been a couple that are uh, similar in nature to just things getting recorded that you can't argue with it can y'all. i put a request in because i believe to there's me to you, which sure. you're hearing it live, folks. Maybe like <laughs> I, our May. We, I uh, let me get our suggestion box out exactly. that I just made, and <laughs> I am waiting for the first one to go in. I have a suggestion box. Um, can maybe we can do like our May mini sode on Patreon about uh, audio recorded like Alexa and Siri hearing crimes. That's been mm. that's floating around. It's a fascinating uh, subject because I think that's or like. If you've been asking chat GPT certain things like how do I, what's an effective way to poison my husband? Or is it going to, not that I've looked it up. Or um, can you make a picture that looks like this and it's something real fucked up and awful and you're like, why do you want to see that? Yep, exactly. No, I wonder. So, yeah, maybe we'll do that. But that's something that fascinates me is the intersection of law and technology and especially Mm -hmm. uh, catching the law up to where we are technically. And I think... We've had, I mean, we've known about what they say. We're separated from birds by 300 million years. Mm-hmm. We've had this much time to understand them. We're behind. We're the ones behind. I think so. I mean, they know how to fly. So. Yeah. What the fuck do we know? We have to fly in we an airplane. Fly. Yeah. We got our little seatbelts on and our little neck pillows like little babies. Meanwhile, Bud's out there soaring. Yeah. He can soar. He can talk. He can Damn. see things from great heights that we can't see. How ignorant and arrogant we all are to think we know more than Bud. Mm-mm. Respect those birds. Yes. Respect the birds. Respect each other. Mm-hmm. Respect this planet. And all the mushrooms. <laughs> We're on one about mushrooms right now. If you haven't watched the fantastic fungi, and yes, it's pronounced fungi, which you will <laughs> learn in the Netflix show uh please go watch it because it's the future and um we're all connected it's very fascinating but i think i think that actually um, i appreciate you sharing that with me because it helped me with this case being like because on the on the front end i'm like i'm no dr doolittle and it's like if only we all were Mm. he was dr doolittle was the most evolved of us all (laughs) he could he could talk to animals damn 
We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating this show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves and Getting Into It tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus minisode, and patron-exclusive audio content like Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons in our Getting Into It tier are also able to vote on a bonus content that they would like to see us live stream. And our next one is April 30th at 8 p.m. Central. And the voting is open now. I think that Rural Internet Post has won mm. by a landslide. So nice. you can sign up to vote, but I think it's too late. Well, now <laughs> and- you sign up to watch it because <laughs> there's oh some God. gems right there. I almost woke Paris up last night. I was laughing at the real escaping <laughs> so much last night. There's been <laughs> chaos going on. On there, It always is. I thought at first people are going to ask to see more rural internet posts, and I won't have any, but my hometown delivers, so we got a lot going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a well of information. <laughs> you also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. When is this month, Heather? If you're listening to this the day that it comes out, April 26th, and it's early enough in the day, you have until 8 p.m. Central to see us tonight for our April Crowdcast Q&A. If you miss it, that's okay. We put the audio only out the next day, and you can watch the video replay immediately once it's over on our uh, Patreon on Crowdcast. So head to... uh, just you can just click on the exact same link you would to register if you were watching it late and hang out with us next month. There's so much fun. I'm sure we'll talk about the recent tour. We get we always get some great FMKs. Oh yes. Yeah. Last time someone said, "What's the most um, helpful thing you've bought for under a hundred dollars?" I love questions like that, and it, it gets us to. I'm like, "Oh damn, I need to bust yeah. that out." That was helpful, and then and- it gets a conversation in the chat going. The chat's always a ton of fun. Oh, Tommy's always chat. in there popping off. <laughs> <laughs> always popping up. The chat is uh, the chat's what makes it. Thank y'all yeah, for being for in the sure. chat. Mm-hmm. For our patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner. You can support the show fast, easy, and at no cost to you by rating, reviewing, and following on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Speaking of reviews, you can easily leave one by going to Sinisterhood.com slash reviews. Yours may even be featured on our social media. Have a friend who you think would like us? You can easily share any episode with them by clicking the three dots in the top right corner. 
You can also share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterhoodPod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're on TikTok and YouTube at Sinisterhood Podcast. If you head over to our YouTube page, you can see full-length video interviews with all of our Freaky Friday guest stories, as well as just listen to the show on YouTube if you want to do that. You can also head over to Cameo.com slash Sinisterhood and book your personalized video shout outs we will say happy birthday happy anniversary hey what's up uh we're going to a sinisterhood show i love you you can do it any kind of message you want to send we can send it for you so book those custom video shout outs at cameo.com slash sinisterhood christy where are you at online I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and I'm on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Daniela St. George. Chantelle McGuark. Vic Hughes. Christina Hollowell. Emily Abe. Sierra Howard. Amanda. Devin Rich. Craig Holly. Jesse. Mojo the Hojo. Kat T. Seren. Rachel. Stacy. Crystal Powell. Nikki Howe. Rachel Castleman. Olivia Nordman. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We sincerely appreciate all the love and support, and we hope we pronounced your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. <laughs> Sin is-